Philippians 3, and let's read verses 10 and 11. I could have tied this into this morning's message. I felt like it was too good. It needed to stand alone. Verse 10 and 11. That I may know him, the Bible says, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The subject of the message is this. All you really need to know to really know Christ. Pray with me. Father, bless the reading, the preaching, the application of your word. Help us to be hearers and doers. Give us strength where we're weak. Give us energy where we're tired. Give us focus where we're distracted. And help us to get everything we can out of your word. In your most precious name I pray. And all God's people said. 1986, I was two years old. A book came out called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. In the book, the author writes, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, he said, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. And he said, these are the things I learned, he wrote. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. You listening, Kevin Kent? <laughs> Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. That's profound. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> I said flush. In a public restroom, courtesy flush. And then flush again. And wash your hands. And when you go out into the world, he said, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Those, that's cute, isn't it? It's, these are all good things to know. This is a pretty good list. It covers a large portion of life, actually. And some adults didn't learn this in kindergarten. But for those of us who are Christians, this list doesn't cover the most important thing we need to know. That is to know Christ. The single most important thing to know in life is to know Christ. I'm talking about becoming so close to him, so intimate with him that he's a constant presence in your life. To know Christ is, is so completely that, that, that you're always um, interacting with him on something because he's always on your mind, as real to you as any member of your family is. When you go to work, you're thinking about him. When you wake up, you're thinking about him. When you go to bed, you're thinking about him. When you go to school, you're thinking about him. When you're stressed out, you're thinking about him. When you go to church, you're thinking about him. When you're driving down the road, you're thinking about him. When you're pumping gas in your car, you're thinking about him. When you're at a restaurant, you're thinking about him. I can't speak for you, but I'm not there yet. I don't know him as I would like to know him. There are times when I do grow spiritually, when, when, I, when it seems like I'm really close to him, and I feel really close to him, and I do think that little by little my spiritual life is deepening. I'm just speaking for myself. But to say that I really know Christ, I can't say that because something in me says that I don't yet know him as I'd like to. At least as much as I sense it's possible to know him. That, that holy discontent in my heart, and maybe you feel the same way. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to know him? 
Well, the Apostle Paul pondered that question. He, he writes the answer to his dear friends in Philippi, and he says to them, hey, I want to know Christ. And then he says, here's what will make that happen. He tells us what will get us there. He tells you what will draw you as close to Christ as is possible to be. And he tells us all what we really need to know to really know Christ. I, I think it can actually be summed up in one sentence. And you're going to think after I give this sentence that the message could be over. And it actually could. I'm going to give it to you right up front, but then we're going to break it down in three phrases to help us understand it a little bit better. Here's the sentence. All you really need to know about Christ, you'll learn by suffering triumphantly until you die. That is verse 10 and 11 summed up. It's, it's almost like a thesis statement. All you really need to know about Christ. You'll learn by suffering triumphantly until you die. Now look at the verse through the lens of that sentence. That I may know him and the power, the triumphant power of his resurrection. And the fellowship there is of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's Paul's complete thought. Look up here. I want you to get the gist of this. He says, I want to know Christ. And here's what will make that happen. If I can somehow have the power that comes from his resurrection enabling me to live victoriously as I share the kinds of suffering he experienced, and if I can do this to the very end as he did so that I be can become like him even at the moment of death, if I can do this, then I will know him as much as it is possible to know him. Paul said, if I can go through the same sufferings Jesus went through, if I can triumphantly respond to them with all the power that's available because of his resurrection, and if I can do that to the very end so that when I die, my death conforms to him, if I can somehow live triumphantly through suffering until I die, as I wait for the resurrection, verse 11 says, then I will know him as much as is possible. Question, do you really want to know Christ? No, do you want to know him as much as is possible to know him? Paul says the first thing you need to know is the power of his resurrection. I would say it like this, to know Christ, you must triumph in his power. Now this has theological implications and it has practical implications. This is a good spot to say an amen right here. When Christ came up from the dead, okay, that proved he was the very son of God. Another spot to say a good amen to. When he came up from the dead, your sins were paid for. And his spirit came inside of you and it gave you the power to live as Christ would live. That's the power that comes to you because of the resurrection. See, Paul knew, and if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you also know the power of his resurrection in two ways. According to Romans chapter 6, you know it in salvation. Look at this verse on the screen. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen, that is, that is so rich. If you're saved tonight, you're old man. You're past. 
all your sin at the moment of salvation, not progressively over time, but instantaneously, your old man was buried and you were raised to walk in newness of life. You might be putting two and two together. You might say, oh, that's why they say that when they baptize somebody. That's not just a Baptist cliche. That's Romans 6 in action. We know the water isn't doing that. What we do up there symbolizes what has already happened inside the heart. When someone commits to, to Christ's finished work on the cross and they received his free gift of grace through their faith, in that finished work on the cross, instantaneously, here's what happens. Exactly what happened to Jesus when he died, he was buried, but rose again. And exactly what we picture in the baptistry. At the moment you trust in Christ, Christ buried your old man, and then he raised you again, and now you get a walk in newness of life. You're a new person. It's amazing. That's Christ's resurrection power. You remember that day you got saved? My goodness, unbelievable. You might not even have understood all the implications of that. But hopefully Romans 6 opens your eyes to, wow, that was Christ's resurrection power in me that day. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that it's actually supposed to extend past salvation. You're not saved just to sit still. You're saved to serve and you're saved to grow and you're saved to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's called sanctification. And look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to who? Us were. Who believed? The saved. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This is incredible. The resurrection means that Christ is alive and that in some personal way, in spirit form, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, prompting you and strengthening you to triumph victoriously in life. Now this is good news for you because when you know the power of Christ's resurrection every single day of your saved, born again life, that means you don't have to live a loser. You don't have to live defeated. You can triumph through life with the power of his resurrection. So I want you to think, do you know that power? Do you live in that power? Can you go back to any time in your life recently where you've experienced that power in daily living? Maybe in the area of witnessing. Can you think back to a time in which God was impressing on your heart and opening the door for you to share the gospel with somebody? And in your heart you were scared to death? And you just prayed silently right there on the spot, God give me boldness, the kind of boldness you gave Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 to stand before the, the intimidating Sanhedrin that day and proclaim the name of Christ? Give me that kind of boldness, God. And he did. Have you been in that situation of witnessing where, where after it was all said and done and you shared the gospel or you shared your testimony, you look back and said, I don't know how I did that. That was God. That's knowing his power. Have you ever known the, the triumphant power of God maybe in your giving? Have you ever really put God to the test and then he came through? Have you put yourself in a position by faith in your generosity to God's work maybe in missions? And you kind of put God on the hook like, like Malachi tells us to do. And says, God, I'm not going to be foolish, but I'm going to give by faith. And I'm going to steward my finances properly. And then I'm relying on you to provide for me. 
And you can look back after an entire year from April to April and you can say, man, we didn't miss a single missions uh, giving. Not one month from April to April, but at the same time, they, they didn't have to come to our house and turn off our electricity. And they didn't have to turn our gas off. And we were able to put gas in our car and food on our table and clothes. On. Have you ever went calendar year to calendar year, look back and say, wow, God's mighty power worked through our giving. What a great God. How about in temptation? Like in Matthew where Jesus was in the wilderness and he had fasted 40 days and, and Satan came at his most vulnerable time and tempted him in three different ways and Jesus quoted the scripture back to Satan and he triumphed in his own power. He triumphed through that temptation. Have you ever faced a temptation and it's like, oh man, I want so bad. I want to look at it. I want to drink it. I want to chew it. I want to smoke it. I want to watch it. I want to do it. And then God's triumphant powers, you just silently talk to God and say, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, and quoted scripture and used that as the sword of the spirit. And you watched, wow. If I was left to my own strength, I would have fallen into sin right there. No, do you know that kind of power? Have you accessed that kind of power when you do you begin to know kind of how Christ felt on the day he was resurrected it's that same kind of power now Paul says this is the first thing you need to know in order to really know Christ you need to know his power that is living in you but here's what he's going to do he's going to tell you this to really know Christ please hear me you need to sense this power in specific situations of suffering now, we can know the, the triumphant power of Christ in a lot of areas of our life, but we can't know it any more than in the area of suffering. And that's why Paul goes on to, to say, if you really want to know Christ, you must live triumphantly in his power through the various kinds of suffering Christ went through. And he says, if you want to know him, you need to experience his sufferings and you need to react to them through his power the way he reacted to them. Look at verse number 10 again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That word fellowship is koinonia. Remember K-Cafe? Partnership. It means you are sharing or participating in Christ's suffering. And that's Paul's second admonition. If you really want to know Christ, you need to share in his suffering. Now, why is this the case? Why is it necessary to share in his sufferings to really know him? Why do we have to live triumphantly through difficult times in order to know Christ like we should? Well, because, and you probably know it to be true in your life, your greatest spiritual growth, if you let it, has always come when you handled some situation of suffering well. Think about it, please. The, the times you've had the biggest spiritual advances in your life have always been when you face something that hurt very badly. A loss of someone or something very dear to you, a betrayal by someone very close to you, an injustice done to you, an overwhelming sorrow that came into your life. And if you look back on it, it was actually during those times as God's power was working in you, as his spirit was producing a godly response in you, it was during those times of triumphing through suffering that you spiritually grew the most. Did you notice Paul said, we're going to share or participate or fellowship in 
his sufferings and the sufferings of Christ. Think about that. That means being rejected by the people you most wanted to minister to. It means false, false accusations. It means unfair treatment. Anybody signing up for these things? It means isolation. It means abandonment. And catch this, to the degree that his resurrection power enables you to move through such suffering without becoming bitter, without becoming angry, that's when you'll learn something of his heart. That's when you'll learn something of his mind. That's when you'll begin to know him on a very, very deep level. I know, I know that some of you perhaps have been rejected like Jesus was rejected by his own disciples. Rejected by a spouse. Or even deserted by someone that you thought was going to be your spouse. Some of you perhaps have been kept out of schools that you wanted to attend or fired from businesses that you gave your heart to or spurned from children that you poured your life into or betrayed by people you put your trust in. Some of you have been misunderstood. Some of you have been mistreated. But listen, when you realize that Christ also suffered through that and when you let his power bring a godly response from you, you grow spiritually and you get to know him on a deeper level. I don't know if this is sinking in. I don't know if you've caught how I've said you know Christ best. You don't know Christ best simply because you suffer. You know Christ best as you triumph through that suffering, as he did. I don't mean you're ecstatic when something goes wrong. I don't mean you're insanely happy when suffering occurs or trials come. You understand that grief is a God-given emotion that he created for our healing and sorrow is, is, is in some ways God orchestrated and ordained in us as, as a hardwired emotion so that we can heal. If the emotional part of your brain, I was talking to Kelby about this earlier, if your emotional part of the brain shuts off, you're in a really, really dangerous point. Crying is okay. Grieving is okay. Sorrow is okay. I'm talking about not jumping up and down during suffering. I'm talking about not being defeated. During your suffering. I'm talking about not giving up on God during your suffering. I'm talking about accessing his resurrection power to triumph in your suffering. To respond to it the way Jesus responded to it. And when you do, that's when you really know Christ. But sadly, the opposite is true as well. Sometimes Christians don't get to know Christ any better during suffering. You know Why? Because they try and make it through in their own strength. Instead of accessing the resurrection power of God. So instead of growing through that, they take a step backwards in their relationship with Christ. And instead of drawing closer to him, they stray away from him. Instead of, instead of leaning into him during suffering, they lean on their own understanding. Instead of loving him through it, they get angry at him because of it. Instead of coming to church, they stay out of church. Instead of praying more and communing with God more, they give him the silent treatment. After all, he doesn't care anyway. Instead of using God's people as a channel of his grace and, and his strengthening, they actually repel God's people away from themselves and resort to isolation. Or they medicate their hurt with some abusive substance. 
please hear me, if you're suffering, my encouragement would be this, don't waste it. Don't waste your storm. Don't waste your valley. Don't waste your pain. Use your suffering as a schoolmaster. Rely on God's power to strengthen you and give you what you need to respond like Jesus would respond. And when you do, listen, child of God, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I really triumphed through that and I know Christ better because of it. Yeah. If I look back on this past year, can anybody... Give me a witness. You're kind of ready for 2018 to be done. Yeah. But there were some things that we learned in the classroom of suffering that we'd have never learned otherwise. I'm just telling you, there are some aspects of, about God's grace that I've only read about, sung about, and preached about, but have never experienced until February of 2018. Unless you think I'm a super Christian, I felt like clamming up, I felt like isolating myself. I, I got so, I got so, so, so frustrated with God, I was on the verge of anger with Him. You know why? Because it just didn't make a lick of sense to me. You been there? Somehow, some way, God's strengthening grace came to me and humbled me and enabled me to kind of learn a few lessons through that. And I can tell you, it's not of myself, but as I tried my best to access God's power through suffering, I can look back and I can say, I didn't enjoy it, I don't want it to come again, I wasn't ecstatic and I shouldn't have been and I grieved and I cried and I sorrowed and I was frustrated, but I triumphed through it because of Christ's resurrection power may that be said of you as you share in his sufferings that's how you know him deeply that's how you know him so all you really need to know to really know christ is sharing his suffering and triumph through those sufferings in his power paul adds one more thing look at verse 10 that i may know him in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of sufferings being made conformable unto his death here's the third thing become like him in his death. It's just kind of hard to understand off the page. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. Yes, I, I want to know that triumphant power of his resurrection. Yes, I, as hard as it is, I want to know how to fellowship with him and his sufferings. But you know what else I, I, want, to, I want to go through? I, I want to be able to become like him even in my death. In other words, I want the process of, tri of suffering triumphantly to, to continue to the very end. I want it to go until I breathe my last breath. What is Paul saying exactly? Watch. He's saying, I want my death to be like Jesus' death. No, he's saying, I want to die as he died, faithful and submissive to God to the very end. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? As it's revealed that Jesus is 100% God, knowing what awaits him, but at the same time 100% man, when he said, God, I don't want to go through this, can, I, can we pass? Is there another way around this? Can I die for the sins of the world and not have to take your cup of wrath? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And Paul, no doubt, was thinking about that. And he says, that's how I want my life to be.
I, I want to finish like Jesus did. I want to experience my death as he experienced, triumphantly. Then I'll know him as, as best as anyone can. I, I want to know him to the last degree. And the only way for that to happen is for me to carry it through to the very end. May I say kindly, too many people quit. Too many people live for God for years, and then all of a sudden they do something inexplicable. They make some tragic, unexplainable decision that veers their life away from Christ, that hurts those around them, and ends their, their, their years with sorrow. Hey, that's sad to watch. And here's the truth. All of us are prone to it. God, help us to stay faithful to Christ to the very end. Hey, God, help us to finish well. God, help us to be able to say like the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see, apparently, the implication of this is, is Paul saying that there's actually a certain knowledge of Christ. There's a certain intimacy with Christ that you can only know as you die. Is that sinking in? Meaning there's a level of closeness to God that can only be attained as you walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. You ever been beside a Christian when they went home to be with the Lord? I have and I don't, I don't really like those moments. I, I anticipate that my wife and I will stand by many a deathbed if God tarries us coming. And we'll conduct many a funeral. God tarries his coming. I even remember when we, we sat around her dad's bed, a preacher for many years, a soldier of the cross, man, someone that finished well. And the memories we have, huh, Jen, about things that he said, psalms that he wanted us to read, things that he said that were almost spooky, almost like, like God was walking with him the valley of the shadow of death I've seen when you see God's people pass away it's never a good thing but sometimes I can I can almost sense a peace in the room I don't like it I'm not saying that that it's some great thing but you can almost sense that they're getting to know Christ in a way I never have why they're seeing him face to face. They're locking eyes with the one that saved their soul. And what a day that will be, the songwriter says. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day, glorious day that will be. That's why I told you at the beginning of the message, I don't know him like I could know him. And by the way, neither do you. Because Paul said we won't know him to the degree we really can know him until the day he walks with us as our shepherd, Psalms 23. The valley of the shadow of death. And you know what Paul, he gives us a glimpse into his heart with verse 11. And he tells us one more thing about this whole death thing. He elaborates on it. Look at what he says in verse 11. If by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Watch here. He's saying, I want to become like Christ in death 
So much so that if it's at all possible, I do not want to be raptured alive. Though there's some great benefits in that, being caught up in the air. Paul wrote about it in Thessalonians. Can you imagine that in the twinkling of an eye? It could happen today. And that would be some amazing, marvelous benefits, wouldn't it? But Paul wants to know Christ so badly that he says, I actually want to die like he did. I don't want to be raptured alive. I want to know Christ by being buried, buried in the ground. And then, if at all means possible, I want to be one of those that Christ resurrects from the dead at his second coming. Now be honest, is that how badly you want to know Christ? So badly that you would rather experience death than be raptured alive. You want to know Christ so badly that you desire to die as he died, be put in a grave as he was, and to be resurrected when the dead in Christ shall rise. Or are you more like me? And you would rather live a good, healthy, safe, cancer-free life and then get raptured when I'm about 85 and I'm on a golf course. Don't tell me you haven't thought about that. I don't think there's any one of us saying, you know what, I can't wait to die. And Paul was actually saying, I, I want to be conformable unto Christ, like in his death. So if that means execution, so be it. I want to know what Christ felt. I want to know Christ that deeply. Listen, if anybody knew about the, the glorious benefits of the rapture, Paul did. Read his epistles. But he said, I want to know Christ so bad, I'm willing to skip what I know is so potentially glorious. To be put in a grave, hear the trump, and, and I'll be one of the first ones out. The dead of the Christ, dead of Christ shall rise first. That's how bad he wanted to know Jesus. Would you agree with me? We're not there yet. But may God give us a little more heart, like Paul tonight. A heart that, that wants to know Jesus a little more than we did this morning. A little more than we did yesterday. A little more than we did last week. And I'm talking about any cost, whether that's death or suffering. Paul's saying this, all you really need to know about Christ, you'll learn by suffering triumphantly until you die. As I close, I remember my first time to the ocean. Anybody been to the ocean? I was standing on the shore, and, and I can just, you know, us being just around like Arcalin and Mead Lake and Fort Supply and these gigantic bodies of water, I, I was taken back by the vast amount of water. I was shocked to, to, to not be able to see the end of the ocean. I could always see the other side of Mead Lake just fine. And so when I went into the water, I, I remember I, I was never a good swimmer, average at best. I, I put my toe in the water. I put my foot in the water. I put my other toe in the water, my other foot in the water. And I, I inched deeper and deeper and deeper until I was totally immersed in the water. I didn't know, being a liberal Kansas boy, that you couldn't swallow that water. <laughs> Tasted a little salty. But it was fun, man. I couple hours I swam, enjoyed myself, it was 
great. And then I can remember what dawned on me upon getting out of that water. I looked back and said, man, I was in there a long time. My, my, my fingers look like prunes, you know, and like I've been in the shower, and I thought, man, I just swam in the biggest swimming pool in America. And then it dawned on me, there was so much of the ocean I still didn't experience. I thought I experienced a ton out there. You just feel like you get so far away you can barely see the shore. And then you get back on the shore and you're like, oh my goodness. There is so much more to experience. And I think Paul is showing us in this passage that there's an ocean of glory in Jesus. An ocean to know an ocean to experience, an ocean to love, and that we should never get stagnant or bored with knowing Christ. Instead, he's saying that we should fully immerse ourselves into him every single day. Every time we come to church, get to know him better. Every time we get in his word, get to know him better. Every time we're driving down the road and a song of worship comes on, get to know him better. Every time we're talking with our spouse or our best friend about what we read in the Bible, get to know him better. Let's not be content with just putting a toe in the water. Let's pursue a deep relationship with Jesus Christ and let's never push on the brakes. Somebody say amen. So let me ask you a question. How well do you know Jesus? I'm sure you would tell me, well, not as good as I want to know him. But I'm talking about like right now. How well do you know Jesus? It burdens me that some can know everything there is to know about their favorite team and their favorite player. And you know I love sports. But you ask them, when's the last time you read your Bible seven days in a row? I mean, they haven't missed a game. amazing to me that somebody can know everything there is to know about a truck, a boat, a gun, a golf club. But you asked them when the last time they went into their prayer closet seven mornings in a row and talked with the creator of the universe. It amazes me that some people know everything there is to know about everybody else because they live on Facebook but they can't name but one or two attributes of God. How well do you know him? Are you growing stagnant in your knowledge of him? Are you comfortable? You got it in cruise control? You're bored in your Christian life? Let me tell you how close you can be to Christ. As close as you want to be. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. Are you suffering tonight? Suffer well. How? By getting on your knees before a God that has resurrection power. And saying, dear God, give me your strength. The same strength you used to raise my Jesus from the dead. Give me that strength or I'm going to quit on you. Give me that power, I'm going to get angry. Give me that power, I'm going to be bitter. 
God, I need that power. If you're suffering, and some in here are, suffer well. Triumph through that with the resurrection power of Christ, and you'll get on the other side, and you'll know more about Jesus than you knew before you entered that trial.